You're listening to the weekly Parsha podcast recorded with God's help in Ramapi Shemesh Israel 5768-2007. This week's Parsha is Parsha's Miketz. We have a very interesting continuation of the story of Joseph in which we find that Joseph has become the viceroy, the second in command of Egypt. And there's a famine in the land, both in Egypt and in, and in Eretz Yisrael and Israel. And the ten sons of Yaakov, besides for Benjamin, they all come down to Egypt to get food. And of course they have to come before Joseph because Joseph is the one who collected all the food and he's the one in charge of the land. They have to come before him and they come to ask for food and they bow down in front of him right away fulfilling the dreams that Joseph had had many years ago. And he sees them, he recognizes them, and but they don't recognize him. He does not let them know who he is. And he plays a whole game with them. And the game on the surface seems to be very difficult to understand because he keeps treating them very, very harshly and it's clear from the verses themselves that he's not doing it out of revenge. Because the verse actually says that what happens when he sees them, he says, it says he remembered the dreams that he had. It doesn't say he remembered what they did to him. Because he understood that every single thing that happened to him, including the sale, his sale to the, to the Yishmaelites, the Arabs, everything that occurred to him, God was behind it all. He understood that he knew that. He was not upset at all to brothers. There was some other motivation that led him to do this whole story, to, to treat them so difficultly. What happens? He says to them, you guys have to go, and you tell me that you have another brother. That's what they said to him. We have a brother, we have an old father. He says to them, you have another brother, go bring him. If you're telling me the truth and you're not spies, says Joseph, go bring that other brother. So they have to bring down Binyamin, Benjamin comes, and then then Yosef has, has the goblet, his supposedly magical goblet planted in the sack of Benjamin and they come back down and and uh, he accuses them and he says you stole my goblet and they say no whoever has it he'll be your slave or he'll die and they find it in Benjamin's sack and they rip their their garments they can't believe what has happened they come back down and that's how the parsha ends and of course we know Judah is going to stand up and he's going to fight with this viceroy not to, not to allow him to take away their brother Benjamin as he guaranteed his father because before they left, Jacob did not want to send Benjamin. He was scared that something would happen to Benjamin, just like something happened to Joseph. As far as Jacob was concerned, Joseph got killed. So he was afraid that that would happen to Benjamin as well. But Judah, Yehuda, had stood up and said, I will guarantee him, and you can hold me accountable. I, re- I accept the responsibility, said Judah. So Judah had to get up at the very end. And he, he was the one who fought against Joseph, at which point in the next week's parasha we're going to see that Joseph finally tells them and reveals to them who he is. Now the question is, again, as I mentioned, why is it that Joseph, it was so important to him to have this whole, this whole difficult interaction with his brothers. Why was it necessary? Why did Joseph do it? So many years ago, I heard a pshat, I heard an explanation, that the reason that Joseph did it was because he was testing his brothers. He wanted to see if they had really done tshuva, if they had sincerely repented for the hatred that they had shown to him so many years past, 22 years before. So he set up a whole situation where they would have to come out and they would have to fight for their brother brother Benjamin. Now the difficulty I have with this explanation is because on the surface... Who, is, who does he think he is? I mean, excuse me for saying this, but who's, who does Joseph think he is? What, he's God? He has to test these people? Like, that's for God to do. God, God decides, Abraham, is he going to stand up to these ten tests? And God tests people. God wants to see where they're holding. But why does Joseph have to do that? What right did Joseph have to do that? 
If anything, he should have revealed himself right away. His father for 22 years thinks he's dead. Here's his opportunity to reveal to his father. To, it says, the verse says as soon as Jacob finds out that Joseph's alive, his, his spirit returns to him. For 22 years he didn't have divine inspiration. The Ruach HaKodesh that he had was gone for 22 years because of his sadness over Joseph. Joseph could have quickly made an end to that situation, but he chose not to. Clearly Joseph had something very important that he needed to accomplish. And, and in, my, in my understanding, it wasn't just to test his brothers. It was, it was something more than that. So to answer this question, we need a few pieces of information that are missing from this puzzle. When we fill those pieces in, we'll understand the whole picture. The first piece of information that we need to understand is what is a test? What is the point of a test? Why does God give tests, for example? Why do, what God doesn't know what Abraham can accomplish? He needs to test him to see what he can do? That's not true. God knows exactly what we can do. God sees the future, He sees the past, He sees the present. Everything is clear and revealed to Him. So what is the purpose of a test? So some would say that the purpose of a test is to reveal to the person himself so the person himself can see. But there's more to it than that, says Rabbi Kiva Tatz. He says the purpose of a test is not just to reveal to the person himself, though that is part of it, but more so it's to take a latent potential energy that exists within a person and to bring it to fruition, to bring it to actuality. Meaning a person who has within himself, Abraham has it within himself, the ability to sacrifice his son. God wants him to take that ability to sacrifice his greatest hope, his greatest dream for God, to take the ability to do that and to bring it to actuality. That's the point of a test, is to bring a person to actualize their potential. That's the first point. The second point we need to understand is that Joseph, Yosef, was someone, as we saw from last week's Parsha, as we mentioned in the name of Rabbi Vigdor Miller, Yosef was someone who Yaakov right away recognized that he was someone who was going to be a leader of Klai Yisrael. In fact, says Rabbi Vigdor Miller, Joseph was the longest reigning king in all of Jewish history. He reigned for 71 years over the Jewish people in Egypt, longer than any, any king in history over the Jewish people. So that meant, what was the purpose of it, says Rabbi Vigdor Miller, because Joseph was the one who was going to mold the people and help the people to grow, to become the nation that was going to receive the Torah. That was something that had to be accomplished in Egypt before their servitude began. So Joseph had to mold them into the people who would be able to last, to get through the servitude, to get to, to Kabbalah Satorah, receiving the Torah. So Joseph's whole purpose, and Jacob saw this, and Joseph himself obviously realized that. His whole purpose was to mold the people of Israel. That's why he felt so much responsibility towards his brothers way at the beginning of the story. And that, I believe, is why at this point in the story, it was so important for him to test his brothers. What does it mean to test his brothers? It wasn't just like he wanted to see if they, if they had done tshuva, if they had repented for the sin that they had performed against him. The point of him doing it was to bring out their latent potential, their ability to stand up for each other, because he knew that in the past they had not stood up for him. Reuven had done something, he said, don't kill him, throw him in the boar. Yehuda said, don't kill him, sell him to the Ishmaelim. But that wasn't enough. They had to be willing to stand up to save the brother's life. That was essential. In order for them to survive in Egypt, they had to be able to stand up for each other. It wasn't enough for them to just be able to say, okay, uh, we'll save his life and you know whatever happens to them, happens to him. They had to care so much about the other one that they would not let anything bad happen to the other one. They'd be willing to give up their own life or their own freedom for the other one. That's what Joseph wanted to bring out of them. And there's another point in this story that I think deserves important mention. And that is that Joseph understood something 
because he had a tremendous amount of experience in this area. What Joseph understood was that the only way for a person to accomplish in life, the only way for a person to truly reach greatness, and that's what he expected from his brothers was greatness. The only way to get to that level was through adversity. He knew because he had the most tremendous adversity in order to be a leader of Klal Yisrael, to be the person who would be the king for 71 years over Klal Yisrael. He had to undergo tremendous difficulties. He was sold by his brothers. He was almost killed. He was thrown into jail. He, he, everything seemed hopeless for many, many years. He was in jail from the time he was sold until the time he became the viceroy. He was, it was 13 years. Tremendously difficult times for him. It, was, it would go up and down. He would, he would get to the top and he would fall, fall so far down each time. And all of this he understood and he knew that everything was for him to lead up to this level where he would be in charge of Kalal where he would be leading them and guiding them. And he knew that through his adversity, the adversity that he experienced, that was how he was able to become a great person. And he knew that for Kalal to be able to survive, for the people of Israel to be able to survive in a place like Egypt, Egypt was a horrible place. It was full of Avodah Zarah, idol worship, and Gili Arais, immorality, tremendously difficult surroundings for the people of Israel, of pure people of Israel, but they could get drawn down. Joseph knew that the only way that they could accomplish anything was if they were able to solidify their relationship with each other, and the only way that they could solidify that relationship was through experiencing tremendous adversity. That's why Joseph created this entire scenario where, where they would come down and Benjamin would be accused of stealing this goblet, and, and he knew that Judah would have to guarantee to Jacob, that he would take care of him. It was all part of his plan. He knew. Joseph was an incredibly bright individual. He knew what would happen. He knew what it would take. And he kept Shimon there. Simeon was, st- was stuck with Joseph the whole time. And interestingly, the verse, said, the verse says that in the first part of the story, when the first time when the brothers came down, before they left, so he, Joseph took Shimon and he, and he had him incarcerated in front of their eyes. So it's explained our sages tell us, in front of their eyes, it was only in front of their eyes that it was difficult. But as soon as they didn't see anymore, Shimon was treated royally. Now, this whole, the whole time, the whole purpose, again, as we mentioned, was to create this difficult situation. Something very interesting I saw somewhere, I don't remember where, was that because Yehuda, because Judah guaranteed his brother Benjamin, because of that guarantee, there was an inextricable bond that was created between the tribe of Judah and the tribe of, ben- of Benjamin. So much so, the fact is that until this day, all of Klal Yisrael, all of the people of Israel, is comprised only of Judah and Benjamin, as well as, as, well as Levi. But Judah and Benjamin are the only ones that are left. The other ten tribes were all lost. They were gone. Gone from the face of history. But Judah and ben- Benjamin, Judah guaranteed Benjamin inextricably bound for all time. Not only that, there are two portions in Eretz Yisrael. The, the land that belonged to Judah and the land that belonged to Benjamin were right next to each other. Not only that, how are they bound? Smack in between, crossing over on international land, which was both of theirs, on Judah and Benjamin's portion was the base Hamigdash, the ultimate place of connection to God. When we connect to each other, when Klaisel connects to each other, that's where God is. And, and this whole scenario was created by Joseph because he understood that through adversity, but through the brothers experiencing this difficult situation, that's how they were able to connect to each other and, and thereby create a bond that would last forever. 
Now this is a theme that we see throughout Jewish history. Whenever the Jewish people faced adversity, in the times of Purim, in the times of Haman, when he wanted to destroy all of Kal Yisrael, when we feel this, nat- this, this national destruction, when we feel like we're all threatened, that's the time that we all come together. What happened during Hanukkah also, there was a similar type of idea. I don't know if it was as universal, but there was a spiritual destruction. Kal at that time came together and we fought against the destruction. That's, a, that's, a, that's something that we're experiencing now, the light of Hanukkah. The light of Hanukkah is a time when we connect to each other. And we connect to each other specifically through spirituality. Because Hanukkah, as we mentioned in, in, in a previous podcast, Hanukkah is a time when the Greeks wanted to take away from us the spiritual connection that we had to God. But we fought, we, we banded together. Mila Hashem Elai, said Matasya, whoever is for Hashem, come with me. We banded together, we fought for Hashem, we fought for that ability to have a connection to God, to spirituality. And that's the only way that we can have that connection is if we bond together. Very interesting halacha, the law is that on Hanukkah, there's no mitzvah, there's no commandment to have a suda, a meal. We do, however, have this meal. And the Shulchan Aruch states that the way that a person can have this meal and it's still considered a mitzvah is if a person has divrei Torah or he sings songs of praise to God. Meaning if we add a spiritual dimension to this su'uda, to this meal, it becomes spiritual. It becomes a su'udah's mitzvah. It has a spiritual aspect to it. And therefore, it's, that's totally in line with the whole idea of Hanukkah. The idea of Hanukkah is taking the physical and, and reconnecting to the spiritual through the physical. That's the idea of Hanukkah. And we need to not only do that, but we need to connect to each other through that. We need to look at the adversity that faces us in life. We need to look at the challenges that God places before us. Many times, you know, you look at the world, and I have, this is not the first time I mention this, but you look at the world, the world seems very difficult. And it doesn't look good for the Jews. It doesn't look good for us. But God places all these things there for us to reconnect to each other, to pray together, to realize that we have a common goal, we have a common... We have God, we have the connection to spirituality, that is, that's what we have. If we connect to each other and we connect to God, then we're on the right path. And this is how we can face our challenges and our adversity, by realizing that the whole purpose of it is for us to grow in our connection to each other and to God. And in this way, hopefully, God willing, will be Zoha, will merit to see the third base Hamigdash, the third temple rebuilt speedily in our days. Have a beautiful Shabbos and a Freilich and Chanukah, a wonderful Chanukah.